Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Will you remain standing as we go and worship the Lord this morning? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround the earth and heaven reflect the rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in Thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou art Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy You know what? Divine. I like that last verse so much. We're going to sing it again in a different key, Miss Gail. Let's try that. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou art Father, Christ our brother, all who love in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. With my Lord's and dear leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning. 
receive our morning offering, please. Gail, that was beautiful. Um, some of you, who, those who were in rehearsal of choir Wednesday night, Mama was supposed to play this morning. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, Mama had to have a stent put in her heart uh, Friday morning at St. Thomas. She had an 80% blockage, so y'all keep her in your prayers. This is the third one she's had, and uh, we thought she was going to fall out on us on inquire on Wednesday night, and we begged her to go to the hospital Thursday morning. So in her stead, Miss Gail Moore has returned to Rocky Valley. I believe Gail has some history here at Rocky Valley. I think her and her husband were actually married right here in this sanctuary. Uh, and she used to play the piano for y'all years ago, and she does a wonderful job. Thank you for coming this morning, Gail. As we continue to worship, someone asked me uh, not all that long ago if we could sing any old hymns. Well, this is uh, one of the oldest um, hymns of the church as you know it amazing grace how sweet the sound choir will you stand as we sing amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me was lost but now 
story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. I'm forgiven because you were You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love, how can it be you, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. You, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I
Church, you may be seated. Certain circumstances And things I could not understand Many times in trials Weakness blurs my vision And my frustration gets so out of hand It's then I am reminded I've never been forsaken I've never had to stand one test alone When I look at all the victories His Spirit rises up in me And it's through the fire my weakness is made strong He never promised that the cross would not get heavy And the hill would not be hard to climb He never offered our victories without fighting But He said help would always come in time Well just remember when you're standing In the valley of decision And the adversary says Just hold on, our Lord will show up, and He will take you through the fire again. Well, I know within myself that I would surely perish, but if I trust the hand of God, He'll shield the flames again, again. That the cross would not get heavy And the hill would not be hard to climb He never offered our victories without fighting But He said help would always come in time But just remember when you're standing In the valley of decision And the adversary says, give in, just hold on. Our Lord will show up, and He will take you through the fire again. So just hold on, our Lord will show up, 
and he will take you through the fire again again it began with darkness black formless and empty into this darkness God created light created entire galaxies countless wonders beyond imagination and to behold his glory he breathed life into his children he loved them with a passion burning brighter than the sun and for a time he made his dwelling with them in a beautiful perfect world but then this love was torn apart fractured by a crushing abyss so wide that it could never be crossed an immense chasm created by our sin our pride our disobedience and so the darkness returned and with it came death wars plagues and exile but our father refused to leave his children in the darkness so once again he sent his light to dwell on earth to become Emmanuel God with us to teach us to heal us and save us from the terrible wages of sin but where he preached peace he was met with hostility where he preached love hatred burned against him where he preached forgiveness his enemies cried out for execution he was arrested tortured and sentenced to death as a criminal with nails in his hands jesus bore the unfathomable weight of our sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness they assigned him a grave with the wicked and sealed his tomb with a stone darkness reigned over the land once more as hope seemed to vanish But on the third day his light pierced the shadows his power shook the earth the son of god rose declaring victory over death and throwing wide the gates of heaven for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. His love still calls to us. His grace still covers us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. And amen. Thank you so much, Sister Loretta, for searching out that video. Thank you, Miss Gail, uh, for coming on a short notice to play the piano for us. Share uh, your amazing gift with us. Thank you. Thank you, choir. Uh, tremendous job, as always. I, I say it, it seems like every week, but our choir is just incredible. So thank you, Miss Belinda. As always, thank you again. And Brother Jason, thank you as well. And, and how about uh, uh, Katie and Miss Amy stepping forward, doing a wonderful job? I don't know about you guys. I say all that because I am proud to be part of a church where people step up and lead us into worship. To step up and lead us into worship. We can worship without anybody stepping up, absolutely. Every moment, every breath, every fiber of our being should be about worship. Every moment should be captivated by worship of a King of kings and a Lord of lords. But praise God for people that stand up with a talent and an ability to share what God has gifted them with. Share that with us and help usher in worship. It is so easy to stand up and preach the word of God after you've been ushered into worship. So thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And you know what? I'm just going to brag for a minute. It's even better to have people in place to usher in worship that when I send them the scripture that the sermon is going to be about and the title of the message, that it's like God speaks into them and they're able to put together a worship service that just walks hand in hand. They've already preached the message to you this morning. My job now is quite simply to just expose the scriptures that go along with what they've already preached to you. So bless God, they made my job easy this morning. They didn't make it quick, though, so hold on. <laughs> this week we dive into really, really one verse from Scripture, but we will read, we'll read two verses for reference. And these are two of perhaps the richest theologically rich verses in all of the text. In all of the text that we have there. There is so much truth that is spoken through these two verses. Uh, in fact, they're so rich that a number of sermons could be, pre be preached. Many sermons have been preached, <laughs> prepared and preached, depending on, on kind of which section of these verses you chose kind of to focus on. There is so much truth uh, contained in these that, that we could probably spend a month going through them. But, but we're going to spend one day. Unfortunately, and then we'll spend another day, another week going through them. But we're going to focus on how they go hand in hand with what has really been our theme since the beginning of this year. Really, since the end of last year, we've kind of been walking through uh, scripture that kind of sticks with this one main theme. How is 2018 going to be my best year serving the Lord yet? 
What are some things from Scripture that I can learn that I can apply in my life to make 2018 the year where I say that was the year that I served the Lord with gladness? And that was the year I served the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. And so why is this set of verses important to that topic? Because they tell us a few reasons why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news. Why is the gospel of Jesus Christ such good news? And my friends, what are we even getting together for if it's not to point people to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why bother? gathering on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday evenings if we're not going to gather for the purpose of glorifying the King of Kings and pointing people to the good news that it is gospel. So if you are able, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading, the holy words of our holy God from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Let us pray. Father God, we stand before you humble. Humble that you would allow us to bring our praises to you, Lord humble that you would allow us to read your scriptures humble that you would hear our prayers Lord God expecting that you would open our minds expecting that you would open our hearts God we ask that if there be any spirit in this place that is not your Holy Spirit that you would bind that demon from this place right now God, if anything would cloud our focus on you, you would remove it even at this moment. That in the next few minutes, all our heart and all our soul, all our might and all our strength would be on worshiping you through the teaching of your word. God, we love you. And it is in your precious, gracious name that we pray as all God's children said. And you may be seated. Now, as we get into these verses, we're going to be focusing on three reasons why the gospel is such good news. And the first thing that we're going to look at is that the gospel is unashamed. The gospel is good news because it is unashamed. Paul writes here, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this word, for, really directs us to kind of look to the preceding verses and see what Paul is writing about Uh, And what he's telling us through these first verses of Romans 1, he's telling the people in Rome, I have a sincere desire to come and be with you. I I have wanted to come to you and things have kept me from getting there. I have a sincere desire to be there. And when I get there, what I really want to do is I want to preach the gospel. My desire to come to Rome is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have much to say. The story I've got to tell is of Christ crucified. But I want to come to Rome and I want to preach that story because it's burning inside of me to share it with all of Rome. Now keep in mind Rome would not have been a safe place for Paul to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Particularly, it would be one of the most dangerous places that Paul could have gone to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Paul in his ignorance that says, I want to go to Rome. It's Paul in his burning passion for God that says, I want to go to Rome. And when I get to Rome, I don't want to be put up, shut up, or hidden. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that Rome was the epicenter of the world in that time. It was the cultural epicenter of the world. Everybody looked to Rome. What is Rome doing? What is coming out of Rome? And Paul understood if I get to Rome and I preach a little bit of Jesus and it catches fire, the whole world will look to the culture shock that goes on in Rome. So I want to go to Rome and I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of this gospel and that means I don't care what may befall me or beguile me or come against me. I am not ashamed of this gospel. In fact, I so love this gospel that there ain't nothing in Rome they could do to stop me from preaching this gospel short of killing me and I'll preach it till my last breath on my way out. And so what are the things, if you think about this unashamed, let's look at shame for just a moment. What are things that may bring shame to us? I think about what may have brought shame to me in my life. And I can think about different times, particularly when I was a child, where I may have bragged about how well I was going to do in a specific athletic event only to fall short and have to face everyone that I had told I'm going to beat her around the playground. I'm the fastest kid in school, only to be beaten, to have to come around the corner and face that shame. Childish, correct? What about an Olympian? Think of an Olympian who is put on a pedestal for winning a gold medal, only to have the International Olympic Committee remove that medal sometime later because he was found to be using a substance that enabled him to win it above the competition. Well, we would say that that Olympian had brought shame to himself, shame to his family, shame to his country, and shame to his sport even. Something that would bring shame. If someone in our family did something that was negative, immoral, or illegal, we might say that that person had brought shame to our family. We might even be inclined, rather than letting everyone know about that shame, our inclination might be what? Let's minimize the negative light and broadcast the good stuff. So, well, what about this? Is this going on in your family? Well, yeah, but you know this person over here, he's, uh, he's head of the FCA at his school. Let's put it the positive light and let, let's not talk about the negative. So you could say that from a worldly perspective, essentially shame is the minimizing of negative light so that we can maximize the positive light and not have to feel shame. We would say we could avoid shame and be unashamed if we could just minimize the negative light. But Paul, Paul isn't really talking here about that in verse 16, is he? He's not talking about minimizing uh, the negative light and maximizing the positive light. In fact, you might say that Paul's looking to do something exactly the opposite. Preaching and spreading the gospel always kept Paul in a bad light publicly. Preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ was not popular. And so it would not put him in a good light. It was constantly the source of people stirring up, in fact, to shame Paul. 
Remember Paul's list in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-26. He says that I was imprisoned, I was beaten times without numbers. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked three times. A night and day I spent in the deep. Danger came to me from rivers and robbers, my countrymen and from Gentiles. In the city and in the wilderness, on the sea and on the land, and from false brethren. That's a pretty laundry list of people that, that tried to shame Paul. Pretty much everywhere he went and everybody he saw could shame him in some way because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's way of saying, I'm not ashamed, was certainly not keeping himself in the most positive and most popular light. No, instead Paul looked out on the pagan, lost dying world and rather than look at them with disdain he looked at them and felt he owed a debt he felt he owed a debt to the lost and dying world to the very people that would spit in his face and stone him and beat him rather than look at them with disdain he looked at them and felt he owed them a debt look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 1 what does he say he says I am a debtor to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise, to the unwise. He looked at them and he said, I owe them a debt. I am a debtor to all of them. So instead of looking down at it with contempt, you might say that Paul recognized this. He said, I was undeserving of the grace. Let me say that again. Paul said, I was so undeserving of the grace of Jesus Christ that I owe everybody else to share this gospel with them. Think about that. Paul said, I was so undeserving of the grace of Jesus Christ that I owe it to everybody else, but more importantly, I owe it to Christ to preach His name everywhere to everyone, whether they listen or not, whether they like me or not, whether they want to hear it or not. I don't care. I will preach it anyway. Because I didn't deserve the grace. They don't have to do anything to deserve my preaching. I didn't deserve for Jesus to reveal himself to me on that Damascus road. They don't deserve to hear about Jesus through my preaching. But it doesn't matter what they deserve. God didn't look at what I deserve. He saved me anyway. I'm going to preach Christ crucified whether they want to hear it or not. Whether they shame me or not. Because the gospel really does two things. It either brings out shaming behavior from those who do not believe or it brings freedom to those who do. It either brings out shaming behavior from those who do not believe or it brings freedom to those who do. Who else was shamed that we can think of? Besides Paul, let's see. Who was shamed? Was anybody else tortured? And beaten, crucified maybe. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does that mean, to despise the shame? It means that when the shame threatens the heart to abandon and be disobedient to the gospel. 
to be disobedient to your gospel mission to be a witness of Christ. You say, I will not yield to the shame. I will not yield to the persecution. I will not yield to those who try to stop my clear mission that God has set before me, trying to cause short-term discomfort. I will look instead to the long-term pleasure and the long-term joy that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus was shamed. He was stripped away of every earthly support that he had. Think about that with me. Jesus was abandoned by his friends. Even his closest friends would claim that they did not know him. Jesus' reputation was slandered to all those who would listen. Jesus' body was exposed and tortured. But Jesus never wavered in the face of shame because instead of dwelling on the in, enduring the shame that he was, he was going through, Jesus instead said, what did he do? I despised the shame, but I focused on the joy that would result from it. He recognized that the pains of now do not compare to the joys of the future. So you could say that while he was shamed, he was unashamed. Paul would say, as would Jesus to us today, suffer? Yes. Be misunderstood? Yes. Be shamed? Sure. But don't be ashamed. Short-term troubles for long-term joy. So what does this mean today to us? The same, I would say. We live in a day where it isn't cool to be a Christian anymore. We live in a time where everyone expects a tolerance and everybody expects that we not claim truth as absolutely truth, but we accept the truth that anybody concocts on their own. I mean, back in the, the 60s, you could say that, that the church came under persecution because people said they don't believe the gospel to be the truth, but now you could say we're persecuted because we claim there is a truth and everybody out there now would rather that we say there is no absolute truth. That we should be able to believe what we want. And as a church, for us to believe that there is an absolute truth, we are arrogant. If proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the only way by which men are saved, and if claiming that this Bible from Genesis through Revelation is the absolute truth makes me arrogant, then so I am. But in my arrogance, I'm also loving. Loving enough not to tell you a lie that will send you to hell. 1 Corinthians 1.22 said, The Jews would ask for signs, the Greeks would ask for wisdom, but Paul said, We preach Christ crucified, and that is a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentiles. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Peter, Jesus, anybody in the Bible that you read about, they faced shame for staying true to the gospel. Who are we to believe that we will not face that same shame? Staying true to the gospel will never be popular, but it will always be right. And so be shamed. And when you are shamed, be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first, the gospel is good news. Because it is unashamed. Second, the gospel is for all people. Look at the end of verse 16 with me. For everyone believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know who the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient for? 
Everybody. Teach you guys a cool Greek word. It's the Greek word for everybody. And in the Greek, what that really means is everybody. And in the English, what that really means, somebody help me. Everybody. We don't have to interpret that one. We don't have to break it down. We don't have to study the participles. Thank goodness. It means the same thing in any language. Everybody is everybody. Who's the gospel good enough for? Everybody. That, you mean it's good enough for that? Yes. Well, what about that guy that did? Yes. What about the one? Yes. But I thought that, no. Don't care what you thought. The Word of God says the gospel is sufficient for everyone. John 3.16 says God so loved the world. Didn't put any restrictions in that verse. He didn't put in John 3.16. Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, for God so loved the Jews. He didn't say to Nicodemus, for God so loved the Pharisee. He didn't say, for God so loved the ones born in this area. He said, God so loved the world. He loved everything so much. That he sent Jesus to die for it. Think about the great commission that Jesus commanded to his disciples. In Acts 1, we see that Jesus tells them this. He says, go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's really saying there to the disciples is this. He's not giving them a free pass not to share the gospel with a particular group. He said, I want you to start beside you. I want you to start in your hometown. I want you to start in your home. I want you to start in your community. I want you to start in your county. Then I want you to go tell everybody in your state about Jesus. Then you should tell everybody in the country about Jesus. And then you should go out and you should tell everybody throughout all the ends of the earth so that my gospel is spread to the ends of the entire earth by my people. You know what's amazing about that? I'm not real smart necessarily. But I am good enough to know about where Jesus was at when he said this to his disciples on the map. We're a long way away from that. And we've heard the gospel. And when it got here, you know what it was good enough to do? It was good enough to save a poor old redneck plumber slash insurance salesman, slash guitar player, slash husband, slash father, slash everything else that I've messed up at in my life. And when it got here, that gospel was good enough to save me. And you know who else it's good enough to save you? It's good enough to save you too, in spite of whatever you've done, no matter who you are, it's good enough to save you. It's not just good enough for those of us here in the Bible Belt. It's good enough for those who are born in California. Yes, even those born in California. It's good enough for those who are in Mexico. It's good enough for those who are from Canada. I knew we had one Canadian in the house. We love her anyway, praise the Lord. It wasn't just good enough for the man born into royalty. Did you know that? It wasn't good enough for the rich man only. It was good enough for the pauper. It don't matter if your daddy was a king or if your daddy was a mechanic or if your daddy was a drunk. The gospel is good enough for him. It's good enough for you. It's not just good enough for the lawyer or the police officer or the judge. It's good enough for the murderer and the thief. And my friend, no matter what past you may have came in here with or how bad you think you've been, the gospel is good enough for you because in my copy of God's word, it says that it's good enough to cleanse you of all 
unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Paul said this. He said, I was the chief of sinners. You know what that means? Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. He gave us bookends right there in that statement. Paul said something right there that is, that is crucial to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, at that point in time, I am the worst sinner that has ever lived in all of mankind. And then he said, I'm the worst sinner that will ever live in all of mankind. He said, I'm the bookend. I'm as bad as it got. I'm the worst of the worst of the vilest of the vile. And Jesus Christ saved me. His grace was sufficient to cover up the worst sinner in the world. So, you know how many times I've heard this? We'll go church, the walls will cave in. Yeah, maybe. But we'll just build them back. But the good news is that once we sort through the rubble, the gospel will still be good enough to save your soul. It was good enough for Paul, and it's good enough for me, and it's good enough for you. The gospel is for all people. So finally this morning, the gospel is good enough. The gospel is unashamed. It's for everyone. And the gospel is good news, and it's good enough. Just leave it there. The gospel's good enough. The verse said, it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone. The power of God unto salvation. And so what is this good news? We keep talking about the gospel. I want to make sure that we stay in tune. I know we're a bunch of churchy people. We're a bunch of churchy people. But let's make sure we understand this clear because sometimes, particularly for churchy people, we make this statement of sharing the gospel. Let's tell the good news. Let's share the gospel. And for so long, we've peddled it as if the gospel is this. Christ was crucified that you might be forgiven. That's good news, right? Boy, that's good news. But you know that that's not the story of Jesus. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've spent so much time focusing on saying that Jesus died and I can be forgiving that we, we, we forget. We forget there's a whole portion of that that we leave out. Come on, Jesus died, you can get your fire insurance and stay out of hell. Ain't that what you want? How many of us have not heard an impassioned plea from a well-intentioned pastor during an invitation with every head bowed and every eye closed to say something like this? Christ can save you from your sins. You don't have to go to hell. If you don't want to go to hell, slip your hand up. If you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. And how many people have raised their hand having no idea what they're being saved from? Having no idea the magnitude of what they needed saving from. Maybe they got genuinely saved. I pray that they did. But what if we told the whole gospel, the whole story of Jesus? Think about this. This is kind of an extreme example, but hey, I'm, I'm struggling for a better one, so you'll have to bear with me. Imagine that after church today, I said, hey, don't jump in your car, ride with me. And we went on, and I brought you back later, and you got in your car. And I never said to you, Hey, somebody told me there was a bomb in your car. If you hit the ignition, it was going to blow up. We had somebody come out and check it out while you were gone. If I never told you that, you wouldn't realize what I'd saved you from, would you? You'd think I'd just saved you from burning gas. But in fact, I'd saved you from death. 
So why in the world would we do that with Jesus? Tell people, hey, you can be saved, you can go to heaven, and not tell them what they're being saved from. It just doesn't make good sense. Colossians 1.16 says this. I'm going to tell you a quick synopsis of the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart, every word. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. See, Colossians 1.16, it says this, that all things were created through Him and for Him. That's talking about Jesus. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it says this in Genesis 1.1 when He says that God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was right there as part of the triune God. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. New Testament says everything was created by him, through him, and for him. And in the beginning, he was there. So Jesus was there. He didn't just show up in Matthew 3. He didn't just show up born in a manger. He was there throughout all of it. But if he was there in Genesis 1, you know when else he was there? He was there in Genesis 3 when man fell from grace by allowing sin to enter this world. In fact, according to Romans 5.12, that's where death entered the world is when sin entered the world said that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and with it came death to all people. And so this means that because we've sinned and sin entered the world, we now have to deal with death and sickness and pain and pride and guilt and deception. But even bigger than that, we have to deal with a debt to a holy God that we cannot pay in and of ourselves because we are not holy enough to pay it. But bless God, this is the good news. Right, you got to get the bad news before you can understand the good news. The bad news is you ain't good enough and you deserve hell. But the good news is that God sent his son, we call him Jesus, and he was beaten and crucified on a bloody cross so that we didn't have to stay in that state of unforgiveness. That perfect life that endurance of punishment, that defeat of death, so that those who believe in him and are saved can stand before God. And instead of shame, God will look on us and he won't see us. He'll see that beautiful son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life in our stead. And so what does this mean? It means that the good news of gospel is that while God is holy and because of sin we are not, because of Jesus, we can be made perfect. Not in and of ourselves that anybody could boast, but through his grace alone. So who deserves grace? Nobody. If we could deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. But who has offered grace? Everybody. And that, my friends, is good news, if you ask me. That is good news. So what do we do with this this morning? Maybe you're here, and you've been silenced by shame. You've been silenced by shame. Maybe you're worried about what people might think, or what people might say, or what people might do if you're obedient to God. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not Christian enough, I'm not whatever enough. My friend, if you know Jesus, you're saved enough. And if you know him, you ought to be sharing his gospel with everybody you know. Why? Because he was good enough to save you and you didn't deserve it. Don't wait on him to deserve it. Share the gospel anyway. So be shamed, but be unashamed. 
Because there are lives in the balance, and the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Maybe you're here, and you don't know that you're saved. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you're not sure what's going on. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord. Maybe, maybe you just, you're not sure. Won't you come this morning, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that just a little bit. Because the question is this, have you been following Jesus? And if you have not, will you come and confess before him this morning? that I want to follow you. I want to be your child. And I want to share your gospel. Let's pray. Father God, God, we stand before you. We recognize that while we were sinners... You died for us. And God, each and every person in this place would have to stand honestly and say, I did not deserve salvation. And we would have to stand and at a minimum say, Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't look at my worth, but that you loved me anyway. And so God, as a church, Allow us to be shamed for the gospel, but to be unashamed of sharing the gospel. As individuals, allow us to be shamed for your gospel. Your word says, take heart if the world hates you. It's okay, they hated me first. So God, let us be shamed, but let us be unashamed of your gospel. And God, if there be someone here this morning, who's never cried out for salvation, who's never cried out to you, God, would you save them this morning? Would you show them your truth, your love, and your mercy is sufficient to cover a multitude of their sins? God, we'll praise you and give you the honor and the glory forever. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.